0: Start your day as I do with Boyer's Coffee. It is smooth to the last drop, and they're the legendary Rocky Mountain Roaster. They've been brewing coffee here in the Rocky Mountains since 1965. It's roasted daily and delivered fresh weekly to your local grocery store, or you can do as I do. You can have it directly delivered to your home nothing easier than that go to boyerscoffee.com check out all of their great products their great flavors and have it brought right to your house it'll be there in no time and uh then you just uh, open your front door and you're all set to start your day it's boyerscoffee.com they've been locally owned and operated for more than a generation and uh so many people When they go to have a cup of coffee, they go to Boyer's. They're the official coffee sponsor of the Colorado Rockies as well. Boyerscoffee.com. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, Rockies outfielder Connor Joe on his new life in the big leagues.
1: It's crazy because... Grew up going to these stadiums um, with my parents, with my family, and now to be on the field and, you know, walking into the stadium as a, as a player is pretty cool.
0: And what it was like to get his first big league home run on the one-year anniversary of being declared cancer-free.
1: I'm standing out there and I was like, wow. Got a little bit emotional, but then I told myself I got to lock it in because I was playing defense. <clears throat> what a special day, man.
0: Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts. Leave a comment and tell a friend. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. I screwed it up last week. Welcome, everybody. I said we were at show 105. I couldn't remember. Actually, it's 107. I shorted uh, myself. But uh, good to have you along, as always. And we're going to talk a little Olympics here. And a little bit we're going to talk to, as you just heard, Connor Joe, who is a sharp young guy who has overcome so much To now perform at the big league level. I think you're going to really uh, get a lot out of our conversation. That'll come uh, in a few minutes. We're going to talk baseball here in a moment, but I want to start with the Olympics, man. I love the Olympics. We had to wait an extra year because of COVID. So it's been five years since the last summer games. I dig the Olympics. One of the, I'm going to share with you, one of the regrets so far of my career is I've never worked an Olympic Games. And I still desire to at some point in time. The summers, uh, I'm a little busy, so that's uh, difficult. The Olympics have changed through the years. They've added a ton of sports. And some people would argue, me sometimes, that not all of the quote-unquote sports they've added are really, truly sports. I was thinking about this the other day, late at night after coming home from a Rockies game and watching skateboarding. Now, listen. I respect anybody that's put in a lot of time in any avocation, vocation, hobby, whatever it is. And the people that you're watching skateboarding are, are phenomenal at what they do. I don't know where the line is drawn, though, as to what would be considered an Olympic sport and what wouldn't be. I think people have to partake in that particular sport in a number of different countries. Otherwise, you know, it's like American football. Would we dominate American football? Yeah. Who would we play? Canada? Who else would we play? Maybe there's, you know, there's, they're playing a little bit in Europe. It has to be widespread. So I would imagine there's a lot of people around the globe that partake in skateboarding. And I guess there's different parts of skateboarding. I, I was watching, I think it was called street skateboarding. And I, I what, what they did was great and, and took a lot of courage. But aesthetically, I swear, at least in the half hour I watched, 75% of these folks fell. They didn't even land on their skateboard. So I was I was a little out on that. But overall, I've always been into the Olympics, and, and I don't want to start with um, a complete negative. It's disappointing that they're not fans there. I'll begin with that observation, I taped the opening ceremonies, but after seeing highlights, I never went back and watched it because it just seemed strange for, you know, the U.S. team to come in and there everybody's waving, you know, uh, American flags, it's little American flags, and uh, as has always been done, but there's no one in the stands. It's everything's, you know, for the television cameras. So that's been a bummer. I was watching beach volleyball, which I which I love, and it takes me back uh, to covering beach volleyball. Uh, I did the women's tour for about four or five years in the mid-90s. It was a blast. It was a great summer gig. have mad appreciation for how great the athletes are in volleyball in general, but particularly on the beach. They're covering an entire volleyball court in the sand with two people. It's crazy how talented uh, the men and women who play on the beach are. So I'm really into it. Love it. I think it's one of the great sports that's been added uh, the last uh, several Olympiads. I'm all in on it. And it's also typically one of the most well-attended. The seats are always uh, filled up. So to see them play and to see just empty stands behind them, bummer, man. It it doesn't take away completely from what you're watching in terms of the athletes uh, partaking in the sport. But a lot was missing for me in that vein. So that was one of my takeaways early on. There's some great stories. The one thing I love about the Olympics is you get told – and NBC does a really good job when I was growing up. ABC had the Olympics typically, and they, they did a great job of pulling on your emotional uh, heartstrings. You know, what somebody had overcome to, to, you know, partake in, you know, track and field or in figure skating in the winter or whatever it is. And, and you and you become all in and you learn about uh, these people. What a wonderful story. Lydia Jacoby. From Seward, Alaska, she wins the 100-meter breaststroke. She's a swimmer from Alaska. You kidding me? I mean, I guess that's akin to some kid from Miami Beach winning the men's or women's downhill in the Winter Olympics. Or maybe the Iditarod. That's not an Olympic sport, though. Think about that. This young lady, she's 17. She's the best in the world at the 100-meter breaststroke. And she's from Alaska. I mean, it's hard to get warm bathwater probably in Alaska. That's crazy. That's you know, I love those those stories, and and that makes the Olympics. Let me tell you where I'm out on Olympics. Certain sports, right? I, I kind of jumped on skateboarding for a moment, but I'm going to talk about mainstream sports that I'm out on. I'm out on tennis. Don't give a shit about it in the Olympics. I'm out on golf, don't give a shit about it, in the Olympics. I'm getting close to being out on men's basketball in the Olympics. And I'll tell you why. I'll start with tennis and golf. I'll lump those two together. I think there's two representatives from each country. So in tennis, I'm all in when they're playing Wimbledon. When the U.S. Open takes place in New York, uh, an event that I was fortunate enough to go to on a number of occasions growing up in New York in the early fall. I'm all in. The best players in the world, the best field, French Open, the red clay of Roland Garros. I'm all in. I don't watch the Aussie as much, the Australian Open. But those are the major events in tennis. The Olympics, yeah. I mean, if I was a great player and I won a medal in the Olympics, I would be super proud. If it was one of my kids, super proud. If it was one of my neighbors, super proud. But I'm not going out of my way to watch tennis in the Olympics because I know it pales in comparison to the aforementioned events, the Grand Slam events, and the same thing applies in golf. It's not the greatest field. It's not Augusta in April. It's not the U.S. Open. It's not the British, which which we just saw. It's not the PGA. So I'm I, I'm out. I don't need to watch one moment of golf or tennis. In the Olympics, the and now I, w- I want to mention men's basketball. In '92, I was all in. We were finally sending our best. It was the dream team. It was Bird and Jordan and Bark uh, Barkley. It was it was the best players. John Stockton at the time, the best players in the world, and we would show the rest of the world that we have dominance in this sport. Well, now I mean you have to beg guys to come and play. Uh, to the credit of the rest of the world and really the U.S. because basketball has become so universally popular, a lot of other countries have caught up significantly. The best players still reside in the United States. But I'm not into it anymore. I mean, I'll watch it in passing. There's no way I'm, I'm recording it. I'm not into it as much anymore. When I want to see the best players play you watch the NBA Finals. We just had that with the Suns and the Bucks. So I'm kind of moving on the outs when it comes to the Olympics and men's basketball. Still in with the women. Still in with women's soccer, which is awesome, watching the United States, because we know how great they are, and we know we're seeing the best in the world at that point in time. I know it's not the World Cup, but on the women's side, I think it's still particularly uh, special. The Olympics is about the celebration of the sports we only pay attention to as fans once every four years, even though the athletes have other significant competition when they're involved in swimming, in diving, in gymnastics, in track and field. But they realize that the coup de gras, the top of the food chain in their sport is when they compete in the Olympic Games. It's not even the world championships in some of those sports. The entire world looks on in the Olympics at those aforementioned sports. So when it comes to gymnastics, when it comes to swimming, when it comes to track and field, I'm all in. That's what the Olympics are about for me. And I love hearing the stories, and I love seeing the competition, because I also know that every other country is sending their absolute best to compete in those events and those sports. Swimming, for me, is the best. I love the first week of the Olympics, because it's not just like the great story of that young lady from from Alaska, but all the events, to me are compelling. Even some of the long distance um, races are compelling. And the relays are awesome, man. The 4x100 freestyle, the 4x200 freestyle, the IMs, it's great stuff. American team not as dominant. There's no face of the Olympics for the U.S. like when Michael Phelps was competing in the last, what was it, four Olympiads? I Maybe mean, it was even five. I, I don't no offhand, greatest uh, uh, Olympian maybe ever, uh, when Carl Lewis was doing his thing. Uh, the face of this Olympics from the United States standpoint was going to be Simone Biles. Uh, I'm not going to get long-winded um, on what has transpired with Simone Biles. She is a young lady, and she has been uh, affected by maybe her popularity, by her fame, by all of the expectations And she has taken a step back. This is not about us wanting to see her perform. This is ultimately about her. So I have no issue with it. I wish her all the best. She has things that she needs to take care of from a mental health standpoint. We've talked about mental health before. And I applaud uh, all of the folks that are brave enough, courageous enough to come forward and raise their hand and say, hey, I'm not 100% well. Because very few of us are 100% of the time. So that's my take on uh, Simone Biles. But when it comes to uh, the track and field, when that gets going, all in. And some of what I'm telling you has to do with guess what? If we jump in the pool and swim and we say we're going to swim a 100 meter freestyle, if you touch the wall before me, you win. If we run 100 meters and I get across the line before you, I win. There's no judging, which, you know, gymnastics, I just said I, I'm into the gymnastics, but it's still always open to interpretation. When we go to the Winter Olympics, when we talk about figure skating, some of the times I'm like, okay, I'm not, I have the, I don't have the expertise to determine if that uh, triple toe loop that so-and-so did from Slovenia was better than the triple toe loop from the young lady from Belgium. And now I have to rely on, oh, it was, uh, you know, a 9.4 versus a 9.6. So some of those judged events, a little squirrely on. Um, again, mad respect for anyone that puts the kind of effort that it takes to be among the best in the world and compete in the Olympics. Um, So if I take a shot at your sport, it's not a shot at you. It's just my personal preference, like rhythmic gymnastics, I'm out on. Uh, Whatever they do in the water rhythmically, um, I'm out on that as well. I I still like, you know, kind of straight up competition. But... As I said at the outset, I've always been all in on the Olympics. Overall, I'm still all in, disappointed, naturally, as we all are, that uh, people can't be at the events uh, in Tokyo and the uh, surrounding area. But there's more great stories to be told. All right, let's segue off of the Olympics uh, to baseball. As we tape this, we still don't know what or if anything will happen with Trevor Story, with John Gray. Even with C.J. Crone, What we do know is that Michael Gibbons was traded earlier today. Again, as we take. Michael Gibbons goes to Cincinnati. Cincinnati looking to upgrade what has been a bad bullpen. And the Rockies get in return two pitchers. One they know very well. Case Williams out of Douglas County High School, who they drafted in the fourth round last year. And then they traded to Cincinnati. And now they're getting him back. More on Case Williams in a moment. They also get back a twenty-four-year-old pitcher by the name of Noah Davis, who is out of Spill this will make Spilly really happy. He's out of the University of California at Santa Barbara, UCSB. And he's having a great year. He's in high A, so maybe a smidgen old for that league, but he's pitched to a 3-6 ERA, he has seventy-seven strikeouts in sixty-six innings. Those are things I look at right away. What kind of that tells you what kind of stuff he has. Uh, The walk total a little high, thirty-five walks. He's hit twelve guys in sixty-six innings, so you you don't love that, but you do love uh, the result. So intrigued by Noah Davis, who was uh, rated the number sixteen prospect in Cincinnati's organization. Case Williams a puppy man. He is the youngest guy in low A ball, at least uh, on on the Reds team in low A ball. I think he's at Daytona. And, you know, so far as a 19-year-old kid and his first exposure to professional baseball, uh, the walk rate is is way too high right now. Um, The hits per inning pitch, about one per inning pitch, uh, he's learning way too early to make any kind of determination on who and what Case Williams will be. But he's a guy that the Rockies liked enough to take in the fourth round a year ago when there were just five rounds. And he's a guy that the Rockies have a good feel for because he was right down the road in Douglas County and they saw him pitch a number of times. His velocity this summer has been around 90 miles an hour. He was up to uh, as high as just under 94 in high school. He was 90 to 93. He is still a young guy. Big, strong body. So we'll see how that plays out. But this is a good deal. Uh, Michael Gibbons is a is a nice setup guy. The Rockies aren't going anywhere. We know that. So it was a no-brainer, and I said this as much over the last uh, several shows, that the one guy I could say with certainty was going to get moved by the Rockies and uh, their interim general manager, Billy Schmidt, was Michael Gibbons. And you get two pitching prospects in return. One, as I said, a guy you know well, and one who's put up really nice numbers this year. Noah Davis, who's jumped, by the way, probably about 10 spots on the prospect list this year from last year in the Reds organization. So I'm intrigued by him. Again, more strikeouts per inning pitch. Very low batting average against. I didn't mention that. Less than 200 uh, batting average uh, against this year for Noah Davis. So, And they're both starters right now. We'll see where they end up down the road. But that helps... Uh, with the organization because uh, the Rockies have to bolster uh, the farm system. It's been depleted. Uh, it's been uh, universally regarded the last couple of years as a bottom you know, four or five uh, farm system. They need more quality, and this is a step in the right direction. So uh, I applaud uh, that deal. We'll find out, and we'll certainly have plenty of commentary on it next week as to uh, what happens with uh, the Rockies over the next uh, 48 hours as to whether they move any of the aforementioned guys um, and, and some of the other bigger deals we'll comment on in baseball. Some have already taken place. Tampa a few days ago getting Nelson Cruz. You know, great move. Nelson Cruz is 41. He's ageless with the bat. It's a good move for Tampa as they try to uh, solidify a playoff spot in the final uh, couple of months of the season. All right, Connor Joe. If you've missed his story somehow, Connor Joe, quick background, out of the University of San Diego, San Diego area kid, super bright kid in high school, uh, very high achiever, big, strong, stout kid coming out of high school. Uh, And as I said, he goes to the University of San Diego, has a strong career there, and is a a first-round pick of the Pittsburgh Pirates. And then he kicked around and he moved to different organizations he finally started to hit in the Dodger organization and normal physical. And you'll hear his story. They determined that he has testicular cancer. I will let him tell his story and what he's overcome and why it turns out that this was a shrewd move by the Rockies. And hopefully, fingers crossed, turns out to be a really nice marriage for Connor Joe and the Colorado Rockies moving forward. But this is an impressive, impressive young man, and I know you'll enjoy our conversation. It's our Ideal Home Loans Interview of the Week, Connor Joe of the Rockies. This has got to be so neat for you to pull on a big league uniform, a Rockies uniform, and now you're in Southern California uh, where you grew up, friends and family around. You pinching yourself a little bit?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's crazy because grew up going to these stadiums uh, as a child um, with my parents, with my family, and um, now to be on the field and, you know, walking into the stadium as a, as a player is pretty cool.
0: When you told them that you were going back to the big leagues, and, you know, you kind of been on that shuttle a little bit as you establish yourself back and forth, how did the conversations take place after the first one, if you will?
1: I don't think it's like something you get used to. I mean, it's still like extremely exciting every time I get to call my family, get to call my wife and let her know I'm going back to the big leagues. So, um, there's still excitement and then also the, um, the stress of trying to get everything packed up at, at the place in Albuquerque. And you know what I mean? So it's a little bit of excitement, a little bit of stress, but it's, it's always good.
0: When you get in the batter's box, and I noticed this even from, from March watching you. There, there was a calmness, uh, a confidence, and we still talk quite frequently about your ability to, in, in the baseball vernacular, spit on close pitches and, and really, you know, give high quality at-bats, which is a little bit unusual for, for, you know, a lesser service time younger player.
1: Yeah, um, it's kind of been something I've done my whole life, um, starting from, you know, travel ball or whatever, whatever you call it. Um, always had a good feel for the strike zone. Been able to establish an approach or, you know, what I'm trying to do that particular day and, and be stubborn to it. So, um, no, it's gotten better as I've gotten older and um, obviously see more reps.
0: I want to go back for a moment before we continue with the big league stuff. When you were growing up, was did you play everything or, or did you gravitate immediately to baseball? No, I definitely – was involved in
1: everything. I don't know if you'd call it playing everything. Um, I played basketball a little bit. Um, my mom is really into tennis, so I was always into tennis. My sister was a collegiate golfer, um, so I got on the golf course a little bit. Still do. Um, played football in Pop Warner. I think it was like sixth grade for one year and then um, stopped that. I was, I was pretty involved with, with a lot of different things. I Whatever my friends were into, I'd get into so I could spend some more time with them. And um, But baseball was always my first love.
0: Yeah, I always ask guys this question because it fascinates me. At what point in time in high school did you realize that you were a high-level kid? What, was it later on or was it pretty early that you were identified? I definitely think it was
1: you know, later on. I mean, I went undrafted out of high school, so really I knew – um, I always wanted to play in the big leagues. That was always my goal. Um, but I knew there was a lot of steps to get there. And so kind of smaller goals I had would be go to a four-year university and play college ball and try to get you know some of the school paid for. Um, but I think definitely later on, to answer your question,
0: Now, if I read this right, correct me if I'm wrong, because I know you were a very good student, Um, you were recruited, offered by Stanford. Is that accurate? Never offered. Okay. But
1: um, conversations with them, you know, at camps and and through my high school coaches, because I committed to University of San Diego when I was a a sophomore. So I think at that time, I wasn't able to talk directly to the coaches unless I was on campus. Um, So I never went up to Stanford. Um, but they talked, you know, through my high school coaches and, and that sort of stuff.
0: Well, I was going to, I was going to tease you then, Connor, because San Diego is a really good school. I know, I know that, but I was going to tease you and say, well, if you turn down Stanford to go to San Diego, I want to check that academic record again. But nah, what did you, what did you study by the way at, at San Diego? Uh, my declared major was, uh, finance. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, um, do you have any left? I know you went after your junior year, so do you, you have school left? I do have a lot left, yeah. I think I have, like, uh, probably
1: a year and a, a semester left. Um, so, yeah, you know, during the season, it was tough for me to take, like, a full load of school. So I think I took, like, bare minimum during season, and um, in the fall semester, I'd pick a full – so I
0: still got yeah. a lot left. Yeah, I got you. So you get drafted by Pittsburgh. Hi, you're you're in the first round, supplemental pick uh, in the first round. What was your reaction initially? It was pretty
1: surreal. Um, you know, I think before my junior year, I was always had a good chance of getting drafted. Um, I knew people liked the bat. Um, they liked the versatility. And then just so happened, my head coach at San Diego, Rich Hill, gave me a call when I was out in the Cape and, asked me, hey, like, we'd like to, you know, have you learn how to catch. Um, you got a high school prospect that's committed to us but probably going to get drafted. And so I learned to catch in the Cape. And, you know, there's a ton of scouts out there, so that opened a lot of people's eyes. And then I came back. University of San Diego, I caught the whole year. Um, so I think they really liked that aspect of my game. And, yeah, man, I was really thrilled to be given the opportunity by the Pirates.
0: When you got traded initially and, and then, you know, ultimately you get moved again, what is the reaction then? how eye-opening to the realization this is a business as opposed to, not that you're not cognizant, you're a bright guy, you're aware of that, but all of a sudden it happens to you and you were a first-round pick.
1: Getting drafted by the Pirates was awesome. Um, Getting ingrained in their culture, yeah. Um, Familiar with their staff, their players, their really good friends over there. And then, um, you know, I get a call one day when I was in double A, about to go to the field and then let me know I was traded. And um, I think it's a lot of emotions, you know what I mean? It's uh, You start thinking, you know, why, why didn't they want me? And, um, you know, I always envisioned playing in the big leagues in Pittsburgh, and then obviously that was going to change. Um, yeah, it was tough. Um, At first, and then I realized, you know, it is a business and there's other opportunities elsewhere and um, kept working. Um, Got to meet a lot more people because of the trade. The first one happened and then many more happened. So um, I'm grateful for the whole journey, honestly.
0: What what prevented you initially from moving quicker? And now what do you feel allows you to say, you know what? I know I'm a big leaguer and I know I can stick.
1: Man, that's a good question. I honestly don't, couldn't tell you. You know what? It um, caused me to move slowly at the beginning of my career. Um, I know I wasn't um, playing to my potential. I, I mean, I wasn't hitting like I knew I could. Um, I don't know if that was swinging a wood bat every day, or um, can't really give you a good answer on that one, Drew. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely all the reps continuing to work hard and never losing losing space um i have gotten here and i I do strongly believe in myself and i do believe i can stick up here
0: more with connor joe in a moment but first this for my friends at ideal home loans just closed with another refinance from ideal home loans this past week 303-867-7000 let me get you that number and get it to you out front because they're gonna help you save money they've been doing it for 20 years in our market they're down in Arizona as well and they have so many repeat people coming back because they've saved money through the years and the process is simple it's efficient and it is pain-free. So many things are painful now to deal with, not when you call Ideal Home Loans. 303-867-7000. Brent Ivinson's team, they're going to listen, they're going to lend, they're going to put you the best product that you need to be in to save money, whether it's a purchase of a new home, whether it's refinancing, or perhaps uh, consolidating debt. If you're doing a project at home and you need some money to get that project done, give them a call. They're going to give you some fresh ideas. 303 867 7000 is the number. Again, it's Ideal Home Loans. Now, back to more with Connor Joe. I want to, it's natural now, and I know you've handled this very well. So, uh, you know, it, before I even ask, I, I tell you I appreciate greatly your story. Um, what you've overcome, and your willingness to articulate what you've uh, overcome. When you first got the cancer diagnosis, and, and, uh, you know, I can't imagine, I certainly can't walk in your shoes or anybody else that that has been in that situation, Um, take us through those those first few moments and maybe the first call or two you made. I still remember that day very vividly.
1: Um, I was in is Glendale, Arizona, at the complex and with the Dodgers, came on back ranch and went into the physical and, uh, you know, as baseball players, we go through these physicals every year. So pretty basic process. You kind of go through it, I guess unwillingly, um, kind of just, you know, slows down your, your day or whatever. But, um, this one, the doctor was taking pretty thorough check. Through me and uh when we got to the physical exam he he felt a you know hard spot in one of my testicles and he recommended a ct scan and or a uh, ultrasound so then i had to wait a full day it was a long day went to the ultrasound the lab tech who who read my ultrasound you know kind of gave me a warning like I've seen a lot of these. It doesn't look good, but I was still holding out hope that it was just, you know, a cyst that could be removed. Um, then I went to the Mayo Clinic, and that's where the doctor matched up my blood work, matched up the ultrasound, and sure enough said, you know, it's pretty certain we can diagnose this with testicular cancer, um, and it's like a gut punch, um, uh, being in that, doctor's office and hearing the word cancer, I was actually by myself because my wife had left uh, a couple days before to go back home. and um, It was a lonely feeling, man, in that doctor's office, knowing, being the only one knowing that I had testicular cancer at the time. Sure. Um, luckily, the Dodgers um, head medical guy, Ron Porterfield, was with me and um, he's been in the business a long time um, and, and was able to. I she gave him the news first and he you know was right there with me which I'm really grateful for. Tough drive home, had to call my wife. I think just disbelief and shock at first. Mm-hmm. My parents especially. Um Yeah. Uh, everyone wants the answers, you know, uh, as far as what, what's next? What's going to happen here? And um at that point I was still processing it so I didn't have the answers. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. did Did they? How long till they gave you a process and you, you know uplifting, if you will, or positive feedback? Hey, you're going to beat this. That sort of thing. Here, here's the process.
1: The uh, Mayo Clinic, you know,
0: told me it's a good prognosis
1: to cancer cancers, very curable. Um, so that was a positive that I took out of that doctor's office. Right. Um, you know, he got. A lot of people surviving testicular cancer. Um, a lot of people living great lives after is what they told me. But, um, you know, we knew surgery was in there. We didn't know chemo was in there uh, at that time. So, um, the Dodgers, you know, let me pack my stuff up from spring training. They let me go home to California. And then in California is when I went to three different hospitals to interview different doctors to see what, uh, facility we wanted to use. And that's when we chose UCLA Medical. Um, we built the team that we wanted to go with and started with the surgery to remove the tumor. After that, um, we had to do a CT scan of my body, and that's where we found the uh, lump in my lung, if you will. Um, and that's where we learned that I'd have to go through chemo. So um, met with the oncologist and... Uh, so it was kind of – it wasn't really a plan at the beginning. It was kind of a, this is what needs to be done, got that done, check to see what else. And then it was kind of a build a plan as it went, um, it, it, if that makes sense.
0: With, with the chemo, and uh, I'm sure you know we've all read or had people we're close to that have gone through it, and until you were there – you would, you know, I have no idea, but you had no idea. Um, what was, how would you describe that to someone like myself? You know, I
1: had, I had the opportunity to talk to a lot of people that have gone through chemo. Um, my wife's aunt was actually currently going through chemotherapy at the time. Um, so I was able to talk to her what to expect. Um, and she basically just told me, you know, some days you're going to go in there and feel all right and be able to do it. And the next day, you know, you're going to feel run down and, um, and sick. And she goes, you just got to get to the next day. And, and that's exactly how I took the whole process really was, you know, get, get through that day and, and then, uh, and then get through the next day. Um, but really it was going through, I had four rounds, uh, I I went in for five days in one week, I was there for six hours, um, and right when I got there they'd put an IV in me, they would give me a hydration pack, um, and then we'd do the two different chemotherapy drugs. Um, So it's basically just like a lot of sitting in the chair, um, got to watch a lot of YouTube, got to read a lot. Learned a little bit, which is cool.
0: Yeah, Did, Connor, do you think your your athletic background, your competitiveness, uh, aided you in that fight?
1: Oh, a hundred percent. I tell people that to the day. Like being an athlete, being in baseball, um, especially the minor leagues, you know, learning to, to grind through stuff, and um, you know that resilient mindset is pretty much the reason I was able to stay so positive and, and able to get through um, the process. Alongside the support, of course, from my family.
0: We'll have more with Drew and Rockies outfielder Connor Joe right after this. Everybody, it's time to clean up your to-do list with built-in-America steel, chainsaws, blowers, trimmers, and much more. That's Steel, S-T-I-H-L, and you can find them at steeldealers.com. They have powerful tools and the trusted advice you need to make your yard an absolute masterpiece. And remember, there's over 10,000 steel dealers around the country. They have legendary equipment, and they're built in America. So find your Steel dealer, do it today and get ahead of your neighbors and get things done. It's steeldealers.com, S T I H L, steeldealers.com. And remember, they have gas, they have electric, they have battery powered chainsaws, blowers, trimmers, and much, much more. I want to tell you once again about an outstanding family law firm that I could not recommend any higher. And we know that, unfortunately, divorces happen and people grow apart. It's a reality. It's a difficult time in life and a difficult process to navigate. You need understanding. You need compassion coupled with outstanding legal advice and counsel. And you'll find it at one of the top family law firms in the region in Cox, Baker & Page. That's Cox, Baker & Page. They've been celebrated and honored for their work and their compassion for a number of years by U.S. News and World Report and Laura Page. And Mary Cox are consistently listed by them with a best lawyer distinction. So if you or someone you know needs assistance, reach them at coxbakerandpage.com. Mention you heard it from me and receive a discount on your initial consultation. Once again, it's Cox, Baker & Page com a family law firm. now back to Drew and Rockies outfielder Connor Joe. I've heard some things and I want uh, uh, in the aftermath um, you, you get yourself healthy again you build yourself up again you're a baseball player uh, again and it's also time to weigh various opportunities and choose an organization. Take us through that process and why you decided on the Rockies and who you wanted to speak to in, in making that decision. Right. Um, yeah. So in July of
1: 20, um, I was being cancer free. And then it's like, wow, cancer's, you know, this process is not something I have to worry about anymore. Um, I was still in good shape even despite the chemo, um, i was still able to stay in good shape and felt good. Swung the bat a little bit. I was like, man, it's, it's still there. Um, so I got myself in shape quickly, was able to work out, get on the field, all that stuff. And, um, took video of myself because obviously it was COVID and couldn't see anybody. And then, um, my agent was doing some work behind the scenes and, um, I forget what day it was, but in November it became a free agent from the Dodgers. Um and right away we got multiple calls from different teams, which was amazing. You know, it's kind of my first free agency, didn't know how it was gonna go, especially after all the cancer treatments and um the Rockies were in the mix and um you know, it was an intriguing organization. Um I knew there was gonna be a lot of opportunity with them. Um a lot of San Diego connections as well. Um Bud Black reached out to my agent. Bud Black reached out to the, the guy that I hit with in the off season. His name's Phil Plantier. They've worked together. Um so that was cool knowing that the manager of the Rockies was reaching out to you know, people in my corner to ask about me. Um you know, Bud called me, and he told me that they're interested in me and why they wanted me. And um, at the end of the day, it was basically the best place for opportunity, for at-bats um, in Triple A and a place to prove myself that I could be a big league player. Connor
0: Joe, back to the big leagues. I want to take you to, very stars, recently, you hit your first career so so home run. Again. This ball, speaking of long balls, deep center field, way back, and gone. Connor Joe, welcome back to the big leagues. His first career homer. And you go dead central, by the way, which is, uh, I think that's pretty cool on top of it. But uh, you're racing around the bases, and we learned a little bit later on, Corey Little um, let us know that that was the one year anniversary of what you just alluded to when you learned that you were cancer free. You also threw out a double, you throw a guy out, um, from what is not your natural position when you've, you know, you've picked up, uh, as, as you've moved through the professional ranks, uh, left field. Uh, when did it, when did you realize it was the one year anniversary? Did you realize the whole time and how wild is that?
1: Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Um, God's timing's pretty spectacular. So right when I called my wife the day before, I told her I was getting called up. She reminded me it was going to be my one-year anniversary. Obviously, I wasn't thinking about it during the game or when I hit the homer. But um, when I ran out to the outfield the very next half inning, I did realize it. You know, I'm standing out there and I was like, wow, it's the one-year anniversary. I just hit my first homer in the big leagues. Got a little bit emotional, but then I told myself I got to lock it in because I was playing defense. Yeah, what a special day, man.
0: Yeah, it's great. And and did your teammates know afterward, or or when did they find out?
1: No, I didn't really mention anything around the clubhouse or anything. Um, I think they found out. I got more people coming up to me the next day when the social media team had put it on their social media accounts.
0: Who did you know the best or who have you become closest to in the organization?
1: Really know anyone previously, but I mean all these guys in the clubhouse that embraced me. You know, since day one I walked in to spring training, they've all been great to me, spent time to get to know me, went out of their ways to help me in in every which way. Drew, they're all good guys, man, and we're all pulling for each other. I think a lot of guys are in the same similar position. They're, you know, young guys in the career and trying to prove themselves. So the work ethic in there is is outstanding. I'm I'm learning from a lot of guys in there, and I'm grateful to be around these guys.
0: Yeah, a couple quick ones, Connor. Again, I, I appreciate the time. Um, one of the things that is neat for us up in the booth has has been neat for us to witness learning about your story, um, and and, re- and probably regardless of whether you have the story that you have, um, when fans in Denver. And it's not as if you were this prospect in the Rockies organization that came through and now you've arrived. You know, Brendan Rodgers, people knew about, not to take anything away from Brendan, but you know, Brendan's been in the Rockies organization, former high pick. You were a pick of Pittsburgh and, you know, you were in a couple of other organizations. When they started chanting and do chant, Joe, 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 I mean, how freaking cool is that? That was one of the most
1: special moments I've ever had on a baseball field. Yeah, you said it. I mean, my circumstances and, um, yeah, the fact that this is my first year with the Rockies. And we were in the cage, I think, probably a couple days after that had happened. And um, guys like Story and, and McMahon were talking and, and they were even saying, like, they've never seen someone embraced by the fans like that in Denver. So just hearing that from them is, I don't know, you know, what I did to earn that or what what I did to deserve that. But, um, man, I am so grateful for, for the fans and how they've embraced me and how good they've been to me. It was amazing. Yeah. It, it puts a smile on my face to this day.
0: Yeah, I, I get it, man. You got, you got me smiling just thinking about it. Um, th- this one is maybe not completely fair, Connor, uh, because you're, you know, you're early in, in the process and, and you should, you know, I'm sure you have the perspective you do to enjoy every day and remember, you know, where you are each day. Um, but who can you be in this game?
1: foremost i want to be the best teammate i possibly can be you know support others in this game but drew i truly do believe in myself and i believe i can be an everyday contributor to the rockies um i think i could help this team i know i'll put together good at bats yeah I, I don't know if that answers your question no, but, a, it does listen it
0: no it does and and, and i know that's a that, that's kind of uh A loaded question because you you have, no, you have humility, you have great humility and and modesty, but you also uh, have to have as we all do, great confidence in whatever your vocation is, uh, especially as a professional athlete at the highest level. So I respect that answer. I get it. Um, you have demonstrated from afar, uh, you know, to be a great teammate. And, and we all love your bats. I speak for Spilly and Huey upstairs. When when you come up, um, and, I, and I know Buddy, I mean, I know he's told you this, but, you know, I talk to Buddy all the time. Um, going back to March, you give high quality at-bats and um, – and uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun to watch and, and to get to know you very little bit. Uh, it's been a pleasure as well. Nothing but success for you going forward, my friend. I look forward to seeing you shortly. Good luck tonight. Thanks, Drew. I appreciate the time. I appreciate it, man. Take care. Stay well. All righty. You too. Big thanks again to Connor Joe. So the day we taped this was yesterday. Connor Joe, that night, uh, starts at first base against the Angels, goes out and throws... Three hits on the board, three RBIs, career high in both for Connor Joe. And you could tell that he had two things, and we discussed this. He has great humility, but he has great confidence. And he can swing the bat. And he puts together as good an at bat, probably this side of Charlie Blackman, that the Rockies have. I think Rymel Tapia is starting to put together consistently good at bats. He's taking more walks. But Connor Joe does not expand. Connor Joe has a really good feel for the strike zone and he can do damage. And when you look at how an organization was formulated when they become playoff caliber and hopefully championship caliber, you have to have good stories. It can't just be a string of you know first round picks that you drafted and a couple of uh, free agents that, that you signed that you knew were great players. And you and you fit them in, and you all of a sudden are a great team. There's got to be guys that come out of, I don't want to say nowhere, because in the case of Connor J, Joe, he was a first-round pick. But he's now kicked around, and he's now overcome uh, huge amounts of adversity. And what if he becomes a guy? I'm not saying he's a, a four-hole hitter and hits 35 home runs a year. But what if he becomes a 20-home a run, 280 You know, seventy five RBI guy who the Rockies can move around and play, you know, at first, play a little bit in the outfield, the DH is coming, DH a little bit. You look at the Dodgers, they have those kind of stories. Yeah, they have huge pockets, deep pockets. We know that financially. Max Muncie from Oakland, Chris Taylor from Seattle, those guys just look to be guys. And they show up in LA and they and they work their way. Uh, with the, in the Dodgers system. And now they're among the top players in the National League. You need good stories, even if you're the Dodgers. Clearly the Rockies need good stories. And as we move forward, Connor Joe's already a great story, but maybe he becomes a great story and an impactful player as the Rockies look to get back to where they were in 17 and 18, and that's the postseason. So again, uh, got, uh, Great, deep respect, as I know all of you do, for Connor Joe and what he's been through, and he's been fun to watch and and fun to have uh, see him have his uh, have success like he's had already at the big league level. Keep those Joe cheers going at Coors Field. That'll do it for this week's edition. We'll talk a lot of baseball and trade stuff next week. Uh, tell your friends about what we do. Make sure you join the DNBR guys. Drew Creasman and Patrick Lyons each uh, and every day as they cover the Rockies. I'll talk to you next week. Stay safe, stay well, enjoy the Olympics also.